Our story continues in the Outlands, a tucked away corner of the Red Kingdom that touches every plane in existence. It is a place of lost history, of ancient magic, and diverse cultures touched by the gods themselves. Five years ago, the Outlands Exploratory Company stopped the Faerun, a hive of reality-eating terrors, from the furthest planes of existence, from escaping their prison deep within the bowels of the Outlands. Uniting the peoples and the factions of the Outlands under one banner, the apocalypse foretold in the Summer of Blood was thwarted, and peace came to the Outlands once again. Now, the benevolent Red Dragon Ashmaker rules over the Outlands as regent for the Red Kingdom with his elven wife, while the Outwatch organization protects the Outlands in secret from threats near and far. Dangers old and new are rising in the shadows of the Outlands, threatening the peace that the brave adventurers of the Outlands Exploratory Company bled and died for. A new generation of heroes must rise up to face these threats head on. They seek to protect the Outlands, uncover its secrets, and battle the powerful foes who threaten the region all while trying to stay alive. Welcome back to Tales from the Outlands, Season 2. We're coming from you live not not actually live for this spooktacular episode oh my god are we actually going to get this thing out like on halloween i mean i'll try and get it up if my sister's unavailable i can oh yeah because we 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 have sound editors now that's we're we're raising rising up in the world we we have a sound we have a we have an editor now yeah i got to move up to just producer yeah so anyways Welcome to Tales from the Outlands, a uh, podcast about a Dungeons and Dragons campaign. I am Christian Hoffer, one of your hosts and the dungeon master of said D and D campaign, and I am joined, as always, by Luke Hare. Yes, uh, I am a player in the campaign. I also am the producer of this podcast, and uh, I am also a guest in the new studio for yeah. the show. Yeah, you may be asking, why does this podcast sound slightly different than usual? Why why is the dynamic between Christian and Luke slightly different? And the answer is, is because we're actually looking at each other this time. We're in the same room. It's not just video anymore. Yeah, that's right. Uh, we, we, are, we are filming this from, you know, the grand Christian Hoffer basement. With cats. So many cats. I apologize in advance if you get, you know, hear cats. I think it's a gift. That's just me. <laughs> Anyways, so, what is Tales from the Outlands, you might be asking yourself, if you this is your first time listening to one of our podcasts? Well, it's not your usual D&D campaign. Most D&D podcasts fall into one of two categories. You have your actual play podcasts, your 
critical roles, your the adventure zones. Um, you know, one of uh, Luke runs several fantastic actual play podcasts, such as uh, you know, don't don't don't. I, I mean, I know that there was Exiled because uh-huh. I was in that one. Uh-huh. Um, was it um, Established Properties Theater? Is that what's called Established Property Playhouse? Playhouse. See, I do I do pay attention. I was in the rain for like an hour after this. Why are you doing this to me, man? You're making me look bad on my own podcast. Your own podcast? Well, I'm the one who does way too much of the talking in this thing. <laughs> Anyways. Season two energy. Yeah, so this is the the listen, we only put out one of these podcasts once a month, so you know. Right. Yeah, exactly. We we're busy and we're running a very elaborate campaign D and D campaign that we'll talk about here in a second. So you have your actual uh, play podcasts. We're not one of those. Uh, and then you have your D and D podcasts that are about Dungeons and Dragons, talking about the news, the the game theory, the lore. How to not eat the dice? Yeah, we're not that either. Uh, what we are are we're we're a recap cam- uh, podcast about a very specific rather elaborate D&D campaign. This campaign started back in April of 2020 um, as an um, outlet during the middle of the pandemic. And uh, it uh, grew to become a pod, uh, excuse me, a campaign with 18 players and myself as the Dungeon Master. Um, and uh, we concluded a pretty epic interlacing arc uh, last summer. Well, it's now fall 2021, and we have done a jump forward five years uh, into the future of that campaign uh, with new characters, new threats, and uh, some old threats, too. And tonight, we're going to talk about one of those. So, this uh, if you listen to our first episode, uh, we talked about a uh, group of players who uh, were adventuring into Ravenloft, but not adventuring, more like getting thrown into Ravenloft. Mm-hmm. And this week, we're going to be uh, talking about a campaign that principally happens within the Outlands itself. Now, this particular campaign uh, is probably the most interconnected with uh, the events that happened in Season 1. So if um, you are curious about who some of the characters are, we'll try to go and talk about them um, and and make sure that you know you don't have to go and listen to the 12 episodes from, you know, the, the first season, or I think we did 12, 12, 13, something like that. I think it was closer to like 16 or so. Oh, man. Time is an illusion. Exactly. So we'll, we'll, we'll make sure that you understand, you don't need to listen to all of season one if you don't want to, but we encourage you to do so. Mm-hmm. Or check out the wiki. Yes, we, we do also have a wiki that is linked to in the description of this podcast, and uh, yeah. So anyways. So what is this new uh, campaign about? Can you give me a like summary sentence? Uh, yeah, it's about a group of six unlikely heroes, one of which uh, is actually a character from season one, who are gathered together by Remy. Remy is a new character, but she is related to two of the characters from our first campaign. Ashmaker, the red dragon who actually appears in our title art, and uh, his consort slash partner, Alaria Windrona, also known as Ellie Windrow, who was one of the major NPCs from the first campaign. So in the five years that they, uh, between campaigns, the two of them, the dragon and an elf, 
uh, settled down and they had a kid. And Remy gathered these heroes together because of a particular threat that she and her father cannot uh, deal with on their own. And that is um, this group known as the Dragon's Heads. Now, the Dragon's Heads are cultists of Tiamat, a chromatic dragon goddess who uh, is very well known in Dungeons and Dragons lore. And in this campaign, she has some sort of mysterious plan for Ashmaker and Remy, both of whom are dragons. And um, the players are trying to stop this this plot. So to, to really dial it back, like distill it even more, this is a mystery style campaign. And it features the Power Rangers as bad guys. Which which uh, generation of Power Rangers? It's is a, this the Sentai team concept. It's it's like a mix. It's it's a mix. We're we're kind of you know because we're going each each one of them. There are five Dragon Knights. Mm-hmm. There's red, black, blue, green, and white, which are the chromatic dragons. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know I, that that particular configuration of uh, Power Rangers has not appeared in any you know season, but you know. They're they're kind of like loosely based off of. Quite frankly, they 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 look similar to the Dragon Fury uh, or the Dino Fury Dragon Fury. Mm. <laughs> yeah, Dragon Fury kind of makes sense. Uh, the Dino Fury Power Rangers who have like a knight motif going on. Fair. And they all run around with swords too, so it, it fits. I kind of fell off decades ago, and then I tried like rewashing. Is like it doesn't really hold up. I have heard good things about the ones where they're all in trains, though, in a dystopia. Oh my god, I've not heard that one. So, I don't particularly like the Power Rangers, I'll be 100% honest. I could not get into them as a kid. I had uh, the Megazord as a child, because somebody bought it for me as a Christmas present, and that was pretty cool. I actually like the, like, the the Super Sentai. Sentai. Mm-hmm. Like, um, you know, I, I like the aesthetic of that. Um, you know, like I, I just do not like, um, the, the, I don't like the Americanized Power Rangers. They, they're not that, they're not great. Um, I, they're, I find it to be cheesy, but you know why I know way too much about Power Rangers? Wikipedia? No, I have a six-year-old. I have a six-year-old child. That, that, that would be why. Uh, he, he, he and I have watched Way too much Power Rangers. He finds them to be awesome because he's six years old. Oh, yeah. I mean, you get a monster. You get to see that monster blow up. And yep. if you're watching the original, sometimes you get the star of uh, AMC's Breaking Bad showing up. Oh, yeah. I totally forgot that he's he's uh, he's in that. Because um, he's the... But he does the voice. He's the voice of a bad guy, right? Uh, he voices a few bad guys. No, there's a... Uh, Brian Cranston. Yeah, Brian Cranston. Well, it's actually, it's really funny. Total side note. So Amazon Prime is about to come out with the Wheel of Time series. And uh, one of the core cast members who play, uh, her name is Zoe Robbins, or maybe it's Zoe Robbins. It's R-O-B-I-N-S. And she plays uh, Nynaeve, who's like one of like the central characters Mm -hmm. of the the story. She was a Power Ranger. Well, I mean, that's like an Australian acting Rite of Passage, like, uh, what's-her-name who starred in iZombie had been a Power Ranger. Yep, she was also, she, I think she was, she was like a Gold Ranger, I think, if I remember correctly. Once again, I only know that because of Wikipedia. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's true. There's a, there are way more people who are Power Rangers. I mean, there's been like 20 seasons of them. Mm-hmm. 
So, but anyways, this is not a podcast about Power Rangers. No, uh, if you want to, there's like Sentai Bros or a bunch of other podcasts. I mean, what I know about it is mostly from reading uh, articles by Chris Sims on Comics Alliance, R.I.P. Yeah, no, I that is, um, I, I know a bit about Power Rangers because of that. And also, uh, the website I work for, comicbook.com, has a Power Rangers vertical. Um, so, I know about way too much about Power Rangers from that, too. Yeah. Um, so, um, this group of six heroes, as I mentioned, one of the characters actually is a crossover character from, from the first campaign. Uh, my wife, Darcy, decided that her character story from the first campaign, Saffron, didn't really have a chance to wrap up. And since the Shadow Court is like the, the umbrella villain of all three campaigns here in uh, Campaign 2, and Saffron's is a princess of the Feywild, which was taken over by the Shadow Court, she decided to bring Saffron back. Now, Saffron was leveled down to level 3 as, uh, as you know, to, to match everybody else. And also, um, Saffron in Campaign 1 was a, a, a bit of a lush. Uh, she was a wino, and she has sobered up in the past five years. And now she kind of acts as a almost like a protective aunt mm-hmm. of Remy. So she has been living in uh, the Summer Estates, which is this castle that is now home to Ashmaker. And uh, she's kind of like a doting aunt to Remy. Most of the other players from our Friday campaign came back. We we had a little bit of um, you know switching of people. Um, we had a couple of players who dropped out in between campaigns, as we are wont to do. And um, so we kind of mixed things up, but most of the players came from, you know, this is this is the Friday group, so to speak, also known as the Terror Team. Uh, so we also have uh, Paul, who is playing a character known as Barnabas the Black. Now, Barnabas the Black is a dragonborn paladin, and he started off, like, the first, first session very you know, stern, like, basically playing a character out of, like, Game of Thrones. Mm -hmm. By the time he realized, like, oh, this is what this group's, like, dynamic is going to be, he totally transformed his character into, like, Andy from The Office. I mean, it happens. Uh, One of the first campaigns that I ever played to the end, my character was supposed to be, like, Steve Rogers, and it was uh, Pathfinder, so I was like the Shield Guardian. Mm-hmm. And the first battle, he refuses to run away from a battle that we're supposed to run away from. He gets murdered, and we end up, I accidentally spoil that, oh, uh, the sound just brings you back to life as an undead. And after that, uh, he just got a lot more dumb. It, it was good, though. He still used S.H.I.E.L.D., so he had a lizard buddy named Baki, and uh, his name was Steed Rogers. Very, that's a very original name. Mm-hmm. Do not steal. <laughs> uh, so, uh, also, we have Eli, who is an Unjanath uh, ranger played by uh, Jacob, and uh, Eli's main trait is he is super emo, like... Darby Allen from AEW type emo, just super, super emo. Very, there's, I have no other word to describe it other than very emo. I, I, I was concerned for a second because I read it as Ellie, <laughs> and it's just another Ellie for the Outlands. But no, no, that it, is not what it is. Well, coincidentally enough, he is a cousin to Ellie Windrow. He, he is a distant relation of the Windrona family, and that is why he picked his name as okay. Eli. Windrona. Uh, 
so then, speaking of Ellie, Shay from Campaign 1 uh, joined the Friday group, and she is playing Sage, who is an Eladrin rogue. And she is kind of, uh, she's also from the Feywild. She is kind of acting as a bodyguard of sorts for Saffron, and she is trying to push uh, Ashmaker and the Red Kingdom into taking back the Feywild from the Shadow Court. Mm-hmm. Um, so she she watched her family, you know, either taken or killed. It's kind of unclear um, what happened to them. At least I think it's a little bit unclear. I, I can't remember. But they they were lost in the Feywild, let's put it that way. And she she kind of wants revenge, as, you know, they are wont to do. Mm-hmm. Then we have Megan, who is playing Venna, a Furbog cleric. And she has come to the Summer Estates also seeking to stop the Shadow Court um, because the Shadow Court, for reasons unknown, has corrupted the forest that she hails from. And we haven't really delved into that so much in the campaign. You know, the Shadow Court is kind of touching on a lot of these characters. Uh, the last player in this campaign is Ixie, from, uh, and she is played by Chelsea. And she is playing a uh, tiefling dragon ascendant monk. And the dragon ascendant, or the it's actually ascendant dragon, is one of the new subclasses from Fizban's Treasury of Dragons, which is just came out this week. Yeah, and you can also find more about Tiamat there. Yes, yeah, a lot about Tiamat. Yeah, there's a lot of that book. It's, it's a great book. It I'm, is. It is. Another side tangent, because apparently that's what we do when we're doing in-person podcasts. It's a better energy, I think. Fizban's Treasury of Dragons, in my opinion. Now we're getting into that second type of D&D mm-hmm. campaign, or D&D podcast where we talk about Dungeons & Dragons. But Fizban's Treasury of Dragons is probably the best 5th edition book that they've come out with. I like a lot of it. I think it has a lot of great ideas and hooks. Like, that's one of the things that I love. Like, I've been reading a lot of Planescape stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I like having that inspire me. And the new book, the Fizzbands book, gave me a lot to think about. It's also like I could do a dragon campaign, but also I I think this may just make me toss a dragon into uh, the campaign. Well, that's that's the thing. Is like I think that a lot of newcomers to Dungeons and Dragons just think of dragons as. Kind of like what most people think of dragons. Like they're they're, they're, they're big kill. monsters. And, you know, in Dungeons and Dragons particularly, dragons are treated as something special. Mm-hmm. Like, um and Fizzbands, what it really does is it makes clear like dragons are something extraordinary. They mm-hmm. are they are something mm-hmm. and how spoilers, I guess. It's not really a spoiler because it's it's a plot it's not a plot hook, but in Fizzbands, it talks about how dragons have a unique relationship to the material plane that other creatures lack. And that is why dragons are kind of like supernaturally powerful and why they have magic that no other creature possesses. Um, and it's a really unique way of looking at it, and it really reestablishes the relationship between dragons and the game Dungeons and Dragons. And I, I think it's fantastic. Like, I personally am a huge fan of gem dragons. Like, mm-hmm. I've always loved gem dragons. I, I just think... I think that dragons that aren't those, like, ten core species of dragons are just really freaking cool. Mm-hmm. So, like, I'm, like, all about this. I'm like, like yeah, gem dragons. Oh, yeah, purple dragons. Oh, yeah, give me give me moonstone dragons. Like, you know, they, they've got a lot of dragons. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and just, yeah. And a lot of dragon options. It's like, yeah, I, I want to be a uh, 
dragonborn who just shoots out death. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, like dragons. Uh, as yeah, you can shoot out like a like necro- a necrotic breath weapon. Yeah, no, it's it's great. It's a really good book. Um, you know, Wizards of the Coast sponsor our podcast. Yes, <laughs> uh, it it has got me like, oh, I guess I'm going to have to restat, or I'm going to have to translate the stats for the Rust Dragon because I just want to make my just have an awful time. Oh, rust dragons are the worst. Uh-huh. Uh, if you're unfamiliar, a rust dragon is sort of the potentially bald form of a rust monster, where basically it eats enough metal and then goes to the metal cues of Asheron, forms a chrysalis, and then emerges as a dragon that just has rust breath. Yeah, no, it's um, it is it is a just a terrible like. I feel like fifth edition has kind of, like, softened the edges of Dungeons & Dragons a bit. Mm -hmm. And that's not a bad thing. Like, I think that was a necessary step. And also, it takes away some of the um, combativeness between the Dungeon Master and the player that previous editions didn't encourage, but it was a byproduct. Mm -hmm. And um, Rust Monsters and, like, you know, like, the, you know, Tomb of Horrors and stuff like that. that. That's all, that's all stuff that's like, you know, you're going to make your players have a really bad day with those. Yeah. But there should still be Rust Mon- there should still be Rust Dragons and, mm-hmm. and Dungeons and Dragons. Just, I mean, the other great thing is that they just have like butterfly wings on their path. Oh, I totally forgot about that. That's mm-hmm. it's so cool. Thank you, Tony V. Terrellese. Yeah, he's, he's, he's great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Anyways. Um, so those are those are the main characters of our uh, campaign. So the setting itself, uh, unlike the last campaign that we talked about, which kind of bounces back and forth between the Outlands and Ravenloft. Boy, does it. Uh, um, uh, this campaign is set entirely in one location in the Outlands, and that is the Summer Estates. The Summer Estates was briefly visited in campaign one, it was the headquarters of the Braided Branches. It was a uh, ancient Unjanath castle that was kind of, it was literally used as like the summer home for Unjanath royalty. And in this campaign, um, you know, since, since campaign one, Ashmaker has basically become the regent of the Outlands. He has entered into an agreement with the Red Kingdom and basically acts as the Red Kingdom's uh, voice and uh, governing body there. So he, he operates his government, so to speak, of the entire Outlands out of this summer estates. And so he and his family lives there. Uh, there's a large staff that lives there. His army, his standing army, which is known as the Red Scales, is based out there. And they also, there's a town that has just kind of sprung up to support the entire, you know, the the, the, the castle. And so that is, you know, unlike a lot of can- other D&D campaigns, like, you know, Campaign 1, you know, was all about exploration and going to different places. Here, it's all set in one town, and it's something kind of different. Mm-hmm. Um, and it has made for an interesting thing. It means that the players are interacting more with the same NPCs. They are um, trying to uncover secrets about those NPCs. Um, they're, they're trying to figure out who is a dragon knight and who is a cultist and who is just a... a normal goofy person mm-hmm. um so at the outset of this campaign ashmaker was holding a festival for remy's fifth birthday party and all of the player characters had gathered to the summer estates for various reasons and remy who she is a half dragon technically 
But because of the fact that Ellie Windrow and the Windrona line descend are descendants of Falcon the Spirit Lord, a god in our campaign, uh, a deceased god in our campaign, Remy is showing signs of godly power. She's still like a five-year-old. She very much behaves like a five-year-old, just a all-knowing five-year-old. And she has exhibited a range of various superpowers that are go beyond even that which you would usually see of D&D characters. Like, she can walk through walls. She uh, seems to have a uh, level of uh, omnipotence. She's got some, uh, you know, she, she has a wide range of knowledge that she shouldn't have. She can change her appearance. She usually takes on the appearance of a little girl, you know, with red skin. But she, she can transform into a dragon. She can transform into a normal person. So Remy kind of foresaw that there was something about to happen. And she couldn't actually see what it was. And this is actually the reason why she gathered these heroes together. At the, the, the outset of uh, this campaign, there was an attack on the Summer Estates at this festival um, in which um, the dragon's heads, which are these five dragon knights, attacked with a group of what appear to be clay golems and a large giant. Uh, the clay golems, you know, have a putty-like figure, and they're basically putties from Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. The players fought them off, and what they discovered to their horror was that these dragon knights, who are representing Tiamat, and they still haven't learned too much about Tiamat, but these dragon knights also seem to be working with the Shadow Court, as one of the dragon knights actually threw, like, the squid onto Ellie Windrow's face, and that caused Ellie Windrow basically to, like, fall under their control. And so they got the squid off, but then they realized, okay, so the Shadow Court and these, like, dragon cultists are working together. This is bad. And what's war, Remy can't see that, you know, can't, like, she tries to use her abilities to gain insight into who these people are, and she can't. So Remy knows that the, the six heroes aren't, you know, aren't cultists because she like was physically watching them fight fight off the cultists mm-hmm. during the opening thing. And so her and Ashmaker basically go, "Okay, you're the only six people we can trust. Go and figure out who these people are." And so they open up an investigation. The early, epi- the, the, the early sessions of this campaign, it's kind of interesting because they, they had to go into the castle and see how, uh, if the castle had been like infiltrated. And they, they learned of a couple of like unusual incidents that had occurred. One of which was there was a strange squid-like smell emanating from the kitchens. And when they investigated the kitchens, they met uh, a a very over-enthusiastic uh, kitchen helper named Tilly. And uh, they also went and discovered the remnants of something called a fey pool. Um, now, fey pool is similar to the void pools that we saw in campaign one. And the void pool, uh, the fey pools actually lead to the fey wild. And they're basically like one-use portals from the fey wild into the material plane. They uh, investigated Froseth Umbar, another character from Campaign 1, who is serving as the representative of the Outwatch, another organization that operates in the Outlands, because they discovered that he had been attacked by a stranger, basically out of the blue. And they didn't really get too much insight into what had gone on there. 
They also met two rather interesting NPCs who are both suitors of Monk Ellie, who was a player character from our first campaign. That would be uh, Brody Darkbeard, uh, also also often referred to as Broody Darkbeard, and uh, Pex the Paladin. Pex the Paladin is um, uh, he's a himbo, and um, he 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 uh, is best described as when being given the tragic backstory. From one of the player characters, he literally goes, "Oh man, that's a bummer." <laughs> um, he kind of sucks, actually. Mm-hmm. Like everyone thought that like Brody was going to be like you know everyone immediately assumed that Brody was a bad guy, and Brody's got this problem where he is cursed, and so his shirts constantly are disappearing. Mm-hmm. So he's constantly having to put on a new shirt. He he doesn't know how to. He he basically can't get out of his own way in terms of, um, you know, relationship stuff. And, like, you know, he's trying to woo Ellie, but he just, he's terrible at it. And he's, he's not a bad guy, but, you know, he's just, he's just as awful at romance. Uh, they, they investigated Brody, they investigated Pex, and they realized that Pex was probably too stupid to be doing anything and just kind of sucked. While Brody definitely s- seems suspicious, but, you know, so far is on the up and up. Mm-hmm. Eventually, they did uncover another dragon cultist plot in which the one of the dragon cultists actually attacked uh, one of the dragon knights actually attacked Remy and uh, with a what appeared to be a minotaur. And the players fought off this minotaur and discovered that the minotaur actually seemed to be a cow that had disappeared from the kitchens earlier in the day, and they. They couldn't quite figure out what was going on with that because it was basically like it was a minotaur, and after the minotaur defeat was defeated, it transformed back into this cow. And so they're still trying to piece together what all that could mean. So that was kind of the first first step. They couldn't figure out who any of the dragon cultists were, but they met some of the major NPCs and fought this this mighty minotaur. Shortly after this, the following day, they discovered that a uh, confectioner in town, a candy maker, named Gnarls Barkley, had gone missing. Gnarls was a gnome and ran a very popular candy store in town. And when they investigated the candy store, because Remy tried to see where this candy maker had disappeared to and couldn't find him, which meant that likely this was tied to the dragon cultists, they discovered that Gnarls might be a dragon cultist, which was unusual. They found evidence that pointed back to a mill at the edge of town, this big windmill. And they discovered a dragon cultist headquarters underneath. And they found that not only was the miller involved, and they fought him, who he transformed into an ash drake, they also went and discovered a... uh, they, They actually ended up fighting the white dragon knight, as well as an intellect devourer, and a strange creature who appeared to be like a large humanoid, but ended up being Gnarls Barkley in a suit, mm-hmm. like a large foam suit. They they killed the white dragon knight, who ended up being Tilly, who was also the miller's daughter. And Barnabas was the one who struck the killing blow. She did give an ominous warning to the party, as like Barnabas was like literally crushing her head in, that the oppressor was either coming or was somehow involved. Now, the oppressor has been hinted at several times through Campaign 1. He was um, a white dragon that seems to be tied to the Outlands somehow, and no one has ever figured out what that tie is. 
Well, and that was something that we had sort of touched on loosely in the first season where like Ashmaker was not the first of his kind. Mm-hmm. It's sort of like a serial dragon. There are there are three dragons that have been hinted to have played a large role in the Outlands. Um, and they are known as the Protector, the Schemer, and the Oppressor. We know who the Protector is. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is that is Ashmaker. Uh, the Schemer is Trixie, who, you know... Seems to be, she is on her own side, Mm -hmm. but her interests coincided with the Outlands Exploratory Company in Campaign 1. Mainly, we were not trying to murder her. They are not trying to murder her, and, um, you know, she she struck up a friendship with uh, several of the characters. You know, uh, Paul's character, Yalmir, and Eddie's character... Varys, uh, because she carried him off at the end. She carried him, his stone body, because he had been petrified by a death tyrant. You know, but, you know, Trixie's still out there, and we have not seen, you know... Hide in her scale? Yeah, her her whereabouts and motives are unclear, so we'll, we'll, we might experience her here soon. Um, but no white dragons had popped up yet, but uh, it seems that a white dragon might be involved in this entire dragon cultist plot. Well, and then there's also the Sapphire Dragon, correct? Who uh, was yes. not part of the three, but who was ancient and had a lot of knowledge. And no one has really asked about what happened to Morden in, uh, in season, uh, in the five years. Well, you're not going to get that from Sunday Party, because the Suicide Squad has bigger fish to fry. Yeah, no, we'll, we'll talk about the very interesting stuff that this is, the, the Ravenloft group has uh, been into in, a, in another episode. But because I'll, I'll be honest, the the Ravenloft stuff has been a lot of fun last episode. These these ones have been fun. The the Friday group, you know, the the Tiamat uh, you know campaign has been fun in that it is very lighthearted. It is uh, it is a mystery style campaign, which is something I like to run. I've never had a good opportunity to really run a mystery, so I'm learning a lot mm-hmm. about how to plant seeds and like lay clues and you know. You don't want to make things too obvious because, you know, you know, usually with these things, like, you know, with a mystery, like a Dungeons and Dragons mystery, it's kind of like a Scooby-Doo mystery, you know, mm-hmm. like, okay, well, we've encountered one named NPC. I wonder who could be like the Green Goblin, you know, well, not the Green Goblin, that's Norman Osborn, but you know, you know Sometimes what I mean. it's hairy. Yeah. Well, exactly. But, uh, you know, it's like we we met old man Jenkins. He seems very angry. I wonder who, you know, the Frankenstein monster is. Oh, my God, it was old man Jenkins all along. My money was on the Harlem Globetrotters just stacked up. <laughs> that would be a very tall. And that would be terrifying. That would be absolutely terrifying. 30 foot tall Frankenstein coming at you. And the only way you can stop him is with the Washington Generals. Yeah. <laughs> Oh man, but yes, yeah, so they, they gotta get their buddy Cager in. Oh Jesus, God, I I haven't I haven't <laughs> I haven't thought about those versions of the the, the Harlem Globetrotters in God knows how long. Oh, I thought you were going to say you haven't thought about Cager, the mascot for the Washington Generals, who's just a guy <laughs> wearing a basketball mask who rips basketballs apart. He does. Yeah. It's great, and for whatever reason, the Washington Generals website had backgroundless PNG files, so I've just got them as emojis in a bunch of my discords. That's terrifying. You know, isn't like the Washington Generals technically like a separate organization from the Harlem Globetrotters? I think they're part of the same organization. 
like it's part of the World Basketball League or something like mm-hmm. that. And there have been games that the Washington Generals have won on accident. Yeah, no, I I remember there was one where it's like the the because the, there's one that's like it's very like a very famous story where basically like the Harlem Globetrotters were fucking around too much, and meanwhile like the Washington Generals just were like actually scoring, and then when the Harlem Globetrotters like were like oh my god wait we're gonna lose this game they started just like like you know it's like we're actual basketball players these are literally dudes from the streets. Yeah, and they couldn't they couldn't make up the uh, the difference in enough time. <laughs> there's there's a best show with Tom Sharpling that that I love where uh, his co-host John Worcester calls in his different characters, and so one of them he is a player for the Washington Generals who's just taking the team in a whole new move. Like if the uh, Harlem Globetrotters start doing pranks, they will just beat them up. <laughs> It's just like, you know what? Like, these guys are disrespecting us. We're just going to hard foul them. Yeah, we don't need to lose. I I love that idea as much as I'm, like, I understand the wonderful formula of you have, like, the uh, super tough bad guys who still always lose. But it's like, no, I, I have some love and appreciation for when the formula breaks and they get a bit more developed. Yeah, no. Like, that's, I mean, I think that's why the, well, there's the, the How I Met Your Mother, there's like a running, you know, one of the running gags in that is that they're fans of the Washington Generals, and so they go to the Harlem Globetrotters games, and they always boo the Harlem Globetrotters, like, uh, it's like a running, like a running gag throughout the entire show, you know, so I, like the Washington Generals, they're, they, they, they've kind of like developed their own like following because they're, they're losers. Mm-hmm. They're the Warriors and Waluigi's. That's a, that's actually a really good point. Well, anyways, so that's that's basically the Tiamat campaign. Is it's a mystery campaign? They're trying to fight the Power Rangers, find the Power Rangers, and kill the Power Rangers. And mm-hmm. they have so far killed the White Ranger. There are still four more Rangers to go. They actually have met at least one more of the Ranger, the the Dragon Knights, um, you know, as as NPCs. So you know, it will be interesting to see if they can figure out which of the NPCs are actually Dragon Knights and which ones are just normal, normal folks. Wait till they find out that a member of the Suicide Squad is also secretly one of the Dragon Knights. That, that would be a twist that, um, you know, that, 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 that would lead into your, like, you know, your, like, Justice League versus Justice Society, like, you know, X-Men versus Avengers throwdown. I, I, I'm not going to lie, due to the fact that you guys don't actually have, well, you, you, I know that the Ravenloft, uh, your your character actually picked up a level of heal, like uh, some of healing ability, or maybe he had healing. No, no, he had healing. He picked up a level of warlock. Yeah, it was uh, James's character Shasta who has healing. I think yeah. he's got a level of cleric. Yeah, he was hiding that he he could heal. Yeah, yeah. No, uh, no extreme runner took the warlock initiate, which is good because I don't want to break his character by like giving him a bunch of bardic spells that do combat damage but no he's come to terms with things about himself and now can just shoot textbooks we'll 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 go back to the ravenloft stuff maybe in the next episode we have one other campaign that we need to cover but they're kind of still getting going uh they're they're their first plot arc is kind of close to wrapping up like they're it, theirs moved a little bit slower, mostly 
just because it was a smaller, smaller scale. It was like a, it's not a smaller story, but they were, they're playing a heist was mm-hmm. basically what it is. Ah. So, you know, they, they had to, basically they needed to case the joint. Mm-hmm. They needed to figure out a way in. And then now they're in the middle of it and things have gone sideways and through no fault of their own. No, that's like Heist 101, you always need the twist. Yeah, the, basically, um, they have discovered that they might have gotten set up, and now they, they need to figure out a way out of the predicament they find themselves in, um, which we will be resolving in real life tomorrow. On, mm. for, you know, uh, the next, next D&D game I play will be kind of setting that up. They're, they're going to do that big fight. Well, this is a little bit of a shorter episode. Yeah, even though we went on tangents. Yeah, I know. Well, I I think it's because we were unfortunately unable to get a guest um, due to scheduling on our end. Uh, we had to move this podcast uh, around a few weeks due to real life stuff. Alan Moore canceled at the last minute. Yeah, exactly. So, um, but we'll we'll cover a little bit more um, of uh, lore and plot and all that stuff in our next episode. This has been a, a fun episode, for at least for me to do. Oh no, this has been very enjoyable, and hopefully background noises haven't picked up too much. Yeah, well... If they not, have, that's life. Yeah, exactly. Well, this is what happens when you record live! Uh-huh. Though the audience has been very... No, the cats have... The cats have been awful. They, the cats have been cats. Yeah. They got bored with the podcast. Oh, good. Let them. Well, anyways, if you enjoyed this tangent-filled episode. Go ahead and leave us a five-star review on iTunes. Uh, go and tell your friends about us. Follow us on Twitter mm-hmm. at OutlandsPod. Mm-hmm. And also, you should follow us on Twitter. You can find me at SeehofferCBus. Luke, where can they find you at? You can find me on Twitter at, at Coltreg. That's K-O-L-T-R-E-G. And I do a bunch of podcasts. The Fallout Columbus podcast that I did all six episodes are up, and then Monday we should be recording a Q&A episode on it, so... Oh, that should be exciting. Yeah. Uh, people can ask about all the juicy inside beats that I put in about the Columbus Comics community. I am going to listen to that during my upcoming fraternity leave, so... Very nice. Yeah, so that's... I, 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 I actually have the episodes downloaded on my phone, so that when I need to get away from my pack of children, or when I'm holding said pack of children and, you know, I'm stuck in a dark room with nothing to do, I have something to something to listen to. So, well, this, is, this has been a fun episode. Um, it is. Until next time, keep adventuring, and thanks for listening. And remember, you could be the Dragon Knight. Dragon Knights are weak against ice and fairies. 